are back with a fresh edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. Uh, happy to be joined uh, alongside Sean Fitz. We missed Sean in the last episode. Thanks again to Mark Brennan for filling in. But, Sean, I think it's been since around Christmas time since uh, the Lions 24-7 faithful have heard uh, your Golden Pipes utter something about Penn State. You're going to do some of that now, but uh, we should warn the folks. Uh, still on the men from whatever uh, plagues you. Yeah, my golden pipes are more like rust right now. I apologize to our uh, listeners for my absence, but I live in a Petri dish with a four-year-old and a two-year-old, so I've been sick all of January. Hopefully, we got the medication right this time, and I'm on the mend, so can't wait to talk some uh, Penn State football. Of course, you can catch us all the time on Lions247.com. been putting up a bunch of stuff in January. It's been a very popular destination for a lot of Penn State fans. Yeah, Sean's, uh, Sean's issue has not prevented him from breaking a bunch of scoops. Uh, same goes for St- Steve Wiltfong, Brian Doan, uh, myself contributing as well. A bunch of stuff your way on Lions247, the site. Here on the podcast, let's break some stuff down. Take it back uh, just right around our last podcast, news broke of a staff edition. Um, Sean, Jared Parker is the new receivers coach replacing David Corley, who was here for one year. He's the third receivers coach in three seasons for Penn State. Uh, Comes by way of Duke, spent some time at Purdue, was the interim head coach at Purdue for a few years. Um, You know, obviously a guy with a lot of experience, and, and it's a position where you look at the young talent you want to cultivate. It's a pretty compelling job. Yeah, and, and you don't want to slight David Corley here, but it seems like a pretty immediate upgrade, both coaching and and on the fi- or excuse me, off the field as a recruiter. I think that's probably where you're going to see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of his strength come into play. He's been, he's done a very good job at Duke recruiting. He's been a recruiting coordinator in the past, and he's teamed up with Jaywan Sider, who's just sur- surpassed all of our expectations so far in terms of uh, you know how he's been able to recruit Florida, but also they're diving into West Virginia. Parker's from Kentucky; they're all over the place. They were they watched Julian Fleming play basketball the other night. So, and I think that's that's an important thing too. Is you've got a guy like Fleming in your backyard. The, the time for a change was probably right. Corley, you know, always seemed kind of like an outsider with the rest of the staff. But, you know, you want to make that change. You've got a year to sign uh, Julian Fleming. And, and Penn State went ahead and did that. A um, little surprised there weren't more, uh, a l- little bit more coaching turnover. But, you know, that's a, a topic for another day. But Parker is a guy that, uh, you know, brings experience. He's, you know, it, it's funny because Duke's receivers had some problems with drops as well. And you'll see that sort of across the nation when you take a look at uh, different receivers coaches that they may have taken a look at but he's got a lot to fix I mean you, you're losing Juwan Johnson you're losing Brandon Polk DeAndre Tompkins you've got KJ Hamler back you've got uh, some some of the redshirt sophomores back Justin Shorter and Daniel George as well so yeah, there's a lot to work with with the younger guys but they're, they're, there's going to be plenty of reps to go around in the spring and sometimes you wonder how a coach is going to connect with his players. What is his background as an athlete? Uh, well, pretty uh, in- uh, impressive one for Parker. He-, he played at Kentucky, dealt with injury issues there, wasn't really an effective college player. He was there for a full career. Uh, but in high school, this guy set a bunch of Kentucky receiving records, uh, an absolute star at the high school level. So, you know, he's he's kind of walked that walk, and now he'll be out there trying to bring in top recruits. And, and we talked about this in the last podcast. No one ever threw David Corley under the bus. Uh, you actually saw players kind of scrambled to his defense uh, when people were piling on on social media after that announcement of his dismissal. But I will say there was obvious frustration. We saw from K.J. Hamler after the Citrus Bowl saying that you know, it wasn't going to happen again in terms of the drops. And you know, he pretty much just kept his head on, on uh, focused on the floor when he was talking to us and, and uh, talking about how they were going to go into this offseason, focused on eliminating those drops. Now, they now have another instructor in place there. 
uh, and we'll see what happens. But I, I'm with you. It's it's interesting. There's only been one staff change uh, to this point of the offseason. And, you know, last year, obviously, uh, there was coordinator changes, assistant changes. It seems like there'll be more solidarity on the staff, on the recruiting trail, uh, going into the 2019 uh, no, winter conditioning and, and spring camp course. But uh, to switch up here, we talked about the comings and goings, Sean, on the staff. That hasn't been uh, too much to explore, but there's a lot to get into in terms of personnel. This transfer portal, I mean, it has just shaken college football to its core. Um, it has become a new period that you and I um, and everyone else who covers college football, I think we're all bracing for this to be an annual thing that you put on the calendar and get ready to buckle up for. And Penn State has certainly been at the center of a lot of this. Jawan Johnson, um, you know, probably the headliner of those who have already announced they are leaving, 20 starts in the past two seasons, but uh, others uh, following him, uh, Sean, and, and it's certainly the guys who are three, four years into their career. Some of them are grad transfers. Um yeah, I think people were probably running to the panic button here. I don't necessarily see it as that, but it certainly is an interesting development in college football. It's an interesting development. It's got a great name, by the way, but it's an interesting development. Penn State's got, uh, at last check, 18 guys in the portal. I'm not sure how many are, are out in Twitter or public sector or anything like that, but 18 guys. Now, that's a little bit misleading. Manny Bowen's in there, Irvin Charles. Of course, Torrance Brown's going to Southern Miss. You got a few walk-ons in there as well, but it's really interesting because it's, you know, it's kind of free agency right now because you've got guys that are you know a lot of grad transfers that are transferring after three seasons. They've got two years to play left. Some of them have one year to play, like Polk and Johnson. But it's just a really, really fascinating development, and and it, it's got college can uh, excuse me college coaches scrambling. I mean, it's it, it's really one of those things that hits you, you know, a bunch at a time. You look at Virginia Tech this week, and you know you, you can talk about the number for Penn State, but Virginia Tech's losing starters, and that's after they lost a lot of starters last year. So, very, very. Um, Big point that I made on our board uh, at some point in the last two weeks is you have to follow these guys on a case by case basis. I mean, you look at Penn State's eighteen guys. You know, four four of them weren't on the team last year. You got walk ons in there, but uh, you've got maybe one one potential starter in, uh, in Juwan Johnson, maybe Lamont Wade uh, challenging for the safety spot as well. But a lot of backups taking uh, the opportunity to get some play. You look at guys like Zach McPherson and Jarvis Miller, um, two guys that would have provided depth special teams play now. All of a sudden, they're heading uh, most of, most of them heading down a level. Um, maybe not FCS as as tradition has upheld, but you're looking at UMass. You you look at UConn. You know these smaller D1 schools will will make a living off them, and they have to leave scholarships open for for guys that are going to come in. And, and I think Jarvis Miller is, is a great example. He can come in at UMass, start right away, and and, and have a great uh, you know a, a great finish to his career. He's a legitimate athlete. He can do that. So it's just a, a really interesting thing. I'm told you know over six. 600 uh, FBS players in that portal right now, uh, about 1,800 total when you take into account FCS, D2, D3, all that kind of stuff. It's just sort of mind-blowing to see how this is blown up. Um, and if you get a chance, 24-7 Sports is tracking as many as we can. We don't have the uh, 600 or the 1,800, but there's a lot of guys in that transfer portal, a lot of familiar names, a lot of former four-star recruits, uh, big-time recruits that uh, Penn State ran across at one point. So really fascinating to check out. Yeah, the transfer portal tool that they've uh, established on the site is pretty awesome, and you don't need a, a secret code to access that. Um, so I will say someone who I think kind of laid the br- blueprint for how to handle this transfer portal thing correctly is Danny Dalton. Uh, this is a guy who, you know, three years ago as a high school senior was the Massachusetts State Player of the Year, you know, in the Gatorade Awards. Um, comes to campus. Obviously, he has ambitions to play at Penn State. Doesn't see time his first two years on campus. Red shirts along the way. Enters last season as a co-starter. 
Uh, ends up playing three games. Pat Fryermuth ascends. The writing's on the wall in the tight end room. And he's going to graduate in three years and have two more years. He's going back home to Boston College. And I think this is how you're going to see uh, it's, it's a different phase. Uh, you know, you talk about the recruiting phrase coming out of high school. I think it's almost uh, an elongated version of that. You know, it, it, you're always constantly assessing your options. And then you get to a point and say, oh, where am I academically? Uh, where am I athletically here? And, and what standouts to me from Penn State, none of these came off as, you know, locker room issues, personal issues. They all made sense in some way. Now, I think the one that, that turned some heads, particularly is Lamont Wade, who has not announced that he is leaving, uh, but has been confirmed by Lines 24-7 to be in that transfer portal. Now, he's somebody with some departures at safety, uh, you know, going into his third year. It seems like it's an opportune time for, for him to compete at Penn State for, for a, you know, for a larger role. Uh, but I think for the most part, you look at these and it makes sense. What would scare you is if you'd see a team, uh, you know, if Penn State were losing freshmen, true freshmen in bunches, uh, I think that would be a, a warning sign. That's not what we're seeing. Um, and, and we'll see how it carries forward here. But I think it will impact the way, you know, players perceive their time on campus because we have seen some guys, especially at the quarterback position, kind of had a quick trigger finger on moving around in the quarterback spot. It won't affect Penn State in this this year at least, but the transfer uh, you know, at quarterback has been amazing. Justin Fields, Tate Martell, Austin Kendall, Jalen Hurts, Nick Starkles out there. All these guys were you know, talking elite 11 quarterbacks. We're talking guys who have started college football games or looked like they were going to be perceived face of the franchise kind of players for their programs. All of a sudden, they're out and about, and uh, it's been pretty bizarre. Brandon Wimbush, another to throw in there as well. Um, so I think that's something that's pretty fascinating to watch. And Sean, when we look at the transfer portal and, and, and the comings and goings, it works both ways. It's a two-way street. Penn State is obviously monitoring who's putting their name in there, uh, contacting as they deem necessary. One name that has come up, uh, a former blue chip wide receiver himself uh, from the Miami Hurricanes, is Lawrence Cager. Yeah, we reported last week that Lawrence Cage is going to take an official visit to Penn State the first weekend of February. He's a guy that was on the radar very early. Then he started looking down south, picked Miami over Alabama. He's a Baltimore kid, uh, next-level nation kid, which you, you're thinking guys like Trevor Williams and Adrian Amos and Donovan Smith, guys that have been through that program in the Baltimore area. So, you know, Penn State knows him fairly well. James Franklin knows him fairly well. Um, so there's a couple other schools involved, uh, Iowa State's in there. I think Kentucky's in there, uh, maybe Oregon. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's interesting because talking about guys like, like McPherson and Miller, where you're talking about backups transferring away, it's going to impact your depth in some spots. And that's where you're really looking. Penn State's in the grad transfer market. You're, you know, a guy like Alex Gellerstead's out of there. And would he have played this year? Probably not. I mean, he's a, he was on the practice squad this year as a redshirt sophomore. He's probably going to graduate and get a business degree somewhere and do very well for himself. But you're in the market for, for depth on the offensive line, defensive line, safety all of a sudden very thin until Jaquan Brisker gets here in the summer. So there's several spots that Penn State can be in the market. And, and, and I think the expectations uh, should be tempered. I mean, these guys are probably in the portal for a reason, whether they, you know, were unhappy with playing time or they, you know, unhappy with their situation. You, You'd love to get the guys like um, his name's escaping me. The guy that was at Wisconsin a couple of years ago that transferred up from Division three and then all of a sudden was an All American um, at offensive tackle. But uh, but th- that's not going to be the case everywhere. So 
interested to see how Penn State moves along. Uh, I think offensive line is, is a spot where you need to bring in a, uh, a guy or two to help with numbers. And that's a hard sell because you, you want to be able to, if you're a grad transfer, go in and start and, uh, you know, just explore your, your opportunities and show, showcase the best of your abilities. But at the same time, that's not how it's going to work. I mean, there's going to be a lot of players in the transfer portal found out they're, they're not as valuable as they think they are. So, it's going to be really interesting to see how some of this has played out. As I mentioned, about 600 D1 kids in that transfer portal right now. It's going to be really interesting to see where they land because I, I have a feeling for a lot of those guys, it's going to be a rude awakening. Yeah, there's there's just a ton of guys checking this thing out. And let's remind everyone, these players are not obligated to then definitely transfer. I will say, you know, Lawrence Cager, six foot five, bunch of talent. You've always talked about this guy's potential, big body. However, drop issues during his career at Miami. You know, there's going to be some parallels to draw. He wasn't as productive as Jawan Johnson during his time at Miami as Jawan was at Penn State. But you're not getting someone who's going to be plug and play and and expect everything to be fine. There's a reason he's leaving Miami, like you said, exploring new options. Now Miami's offense has been an issue for a while now. So uh, you know that certainly could be part of it with Cager. But I do want to say. We didn't spend time on this uh, in the last podcast because it hadn't broken yet. Uh, but Jawan Johnson departing, you know, a really hard career to get wrap your head around, Sean, because this is a guy who, again, started 20 games his last two seasons at Penn State, had the game-winning touchdown catch, the walk-off touchdown at Iowa, a guy who made that great catch against Ohio State, finished last season very productive, four catches, five catches a game, uh, really seemed to be emerging as that number one guy. And then week after week, we would do our pregame podcast and – I would point to him. You would point to him. Who needs to step up? Jawan Johnson. That moment, that turning point just never arrived for him. Injuries came his way last year. and We'll see where he lands. But I think if you're swapping out a guy like Johnson for Cager, you know, really interested to see the scenario for each of these players. It will be interesting to see how many of these transfers go on and, and then just blow up into stars at their new school. Because I don't think it happens that often, but it will. And there's going to be some fan bases wondering, well, why the heck didn't it work out here? Yeah, and and sometimes a fresh start is is exactly what you need. You see, you know, some guys that have had very successful grad transfer opportunities. I mean, Johnson's got talent. We've seen it. I mean, you and I have seen it in practice. We've seen it in the game and made that ridiculous catch against Ohio State. But, you know, hasn't been consistent as he's needed to be. So, you know, hopefully for him, he finds the right spot. He can work into it and and make it happen. So it's just very fascinating to see where some of these guys are going to end up um, because everybody's really in the same situation. I mean, you talk about Penn State's 18 guys in the portal. I mean, Michigan's got 10 guys in the pool. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, it's a situation that's playing out over college football. Not quite sure the coaches know how to handle it right now, but it's uh, it's fun for us to watch at least. And oh, by the way, there's less than two weeks until National Signing Day, and, and January just becomes even crazier. Always a crazy month in the college football calendar. Uh, and now that further intensifies. And, and, and you're, if I can interrupt, you're, you're going to see some guys that are, you know, recruited by schools that – you know, may not be able to take them at the end, but if you want to get in with some of these guys, you got to get in early. Say, say Penn State, um, you know, is uh, is in the market for an offensive lineman. Well, you're not just going to, you know, go after R.J. Proctor from uh, Virginia or the, the kid from South Alabama whose name's escaping me that we've reported on in the past. But I mean, it's uh, you got to go after five or seven kids, and then all of a sudden. These guys are going to be at their school throughout the spring to get their degree to hopefully move on and, and play right away as grad transfers. Then all of a sudden, things can change over those next couple of months. So you're going to see Penn State tied to a number of guys. Matt Lime Grover's been out on the road looking at some guys. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how this one turns out. 
Shifting the conversation from players searching for their second college football home to those looking for their first one, uh, a couple really impressive 2020 recruits that we've talked about so much. Julian Fleming, Brian Brezzi, both on campus uh, in the past couple weeks. Uh, Brezzi was there on l- this previous Sunday. Uh, it was an iffy situation with the weather. Ended up pulling that off. And then additionally, uh, Julian Fleming gets his first in-person visit with Jared Parker, the new receivers coach, coming to campus two weeks ago. So, Sean, anytime we've talked about it, anytime either of these players is on campus is a great thing. Um, to get them both making the effort um, so quickly, Fleming almost you know within days of the Parker hire, and then Brezzi, despite some weather conditions that weren't ideal, both of them getting back to campus on official visits. There weren't, there wasn't an event going on all around them um, with other a bunch of other recruits. This was more of an intimate setting, and I think these are the ones that really can stack up. Yeah, I mean, getting the top player in the country and the number five player in the country is a good thing. You know, getting them on campus is, is fairly good. I mean, these are the two key cogs for Penn State next year. I mean, you don't want to throw around the term must get, but these are guys that, uh, you know, I think they're in a really good spot for right now. I think they're on top for both of those guys right now. Um, you know, the lead, uh, you can you can throw different margins out there. But, you know, Penn State, I think, is in a better spot than any other school, uh, you know, with Bressy, with Fleming. And you got to keep getting those guys back onto campus. Penn State going to have a junior day in a couple of weeks, hopefully getting those guys back onto campus as well. So, I mean, it's uh, it, it's one of those things where you're all in on those guys. Uh, they're so vital to the class because, you know, 2020 class, you've got two commitments on board with Grant Toutant and uh, Derek Wingo out of Florida. But uh, these guys are on another level. It's one of those things where I think if, if they were in the class, guys would flock to the class and you would see that sort of uh, that ripple effect with some other prospects, especially in the region. It's amazing how quickly recruiting cycles move forward because I'm sure you feel the same way. It seems like just getting to know Julian Fleming and, and, and Brezzi as freshmen going into their sophomore years, they are now just three months away from taking official visits. So it's going to get to a new phase of their recruitments pretty soon, expecting to narrow things down again. Um, but uh, again, Penn State seems to be in a good spot for both those players. That's great. In the 2019 class, before we you know entirely jump into 2020, uh, Penn State looking to find its last pieces uh, 20 players in the class now it was revealed that Devon Ellie's defensive tackle out of Maryland had signed back in December. Didn't go public with that until an announcement during the Polynesian Bowl broadcast on Saturday evening. And then Smith Vilbert, you know, just, what was that, 36 hours before, less than 36 hours before Ellie's announcement, he commits to Penn State over Florida. Um, so it really, uh, we've been talking about defensive line, needing to add those pieces. It's all coming together now. Yeah, these are two different uh, two different types of prospects, but you need bodies on that defensive line. Smith Vilbert, very very high upside as a, as a former basketball player. You know, just getting the feel of football right now. A lot of schools were on him late. Took the late official to Florida, um, and and then Devon Ellis is is more of a polished guy. Probably about six one and a half, two eighty, uh, athletic kid that can do some things for you. Of course, you keep that McDonald pi- pipeline open as well. So, um, I mean, these are two big pickups for Sean Spencer. Active guys, um, Devon Ellis, I think, uh, came out in the latest uh, top top two four seven rankings in the one tens or something like that, which might be a little bit high. But at the same time, I mean, this is a kid that can play. You need defensive tackles bad. You're still going after defensive tackles, and then Smith Vilbert is a pretty good complement to Adisa Isaac, who's already on campus. 
Yeah, Ellie's ends up in the top 10 among defensive tackles when you look at the top 247 rankings put out this week. And by the way, how often do we hear people knocking on your door, Sean? Where are these top 10 defensive tackle recruits? Where are they? Why can't Penn State get them? That's two straight cycles now where Penn State has signed a top 10 defensive tackle. He joins Mustafer. By the way, last time Ellie's and Mustafer shared a defensive line at McDonough in 2017, they combined for 27 sacks, 34 tackles for loss. Um, get out and then of here if, with your stats and numbers and facts. <laughs> Come on, well, Penn State needs more. Let's get more back DTs. to the let's get back to the speculation then, because uh, there are a few possibilities out there. Official visit weekends coming up. We talked about Cager at wide receiver. TJ Jones is a guy that's been on the radar for a bit now as a high school receiver coming out of Florida. Um, and then additionally, I'm really compelled by these two committed guys who didn't sign in December. Nestor, Ohio State offensive lineman, committed there for a long time. He's been back to Columbus since this coaching staff changes. Penn State's firmly in the mix there. And then Nick Cross, who committed to Florida State early in his senior year, you know, wasn't ready to sign in December, and all of a sudden here, Penn State popping up late. Yeah, two, two late visits for these guys. And anytime you can get a committed guy on your campus a week before signing day, two weeks before signing day, it's going to be the storyline. And, and, and you look at Nestor, an All-American guard, he could probably also play tackle. He's a big kid, really big kid. I mean, he's legit 6'6 plus, um, really big kid out there. And then Nick Cross is just the next level athlete. Uh, you know, he's got some work to do as a, as a safety, but at the same time, had a really good week at the All American Bowl. I think he got bumped up to number fifty in the top two four seven rankings, if I if I remember correctly. So these are the key cogs for the rest of the way. You've you've got other guys that are that are out there like T.J. Jones and Joseph Darkwa, the uh, German defensive tackle who's coming in this week, and Dewan Jones is going to take his official visit to Penn State. Jaquez Sorrells from Florida as well. So there's a lot of names out there. Um, Penn State. You know, you don't want to say that they they don't have space, but you know this is this they're in a, probably in a better situation than you would think with twenty commits on the on board, nineteen of them signed. Of course, Smith Vilbert's going to sign in February. And then you can load up. You know, if you can flip Doug Nestor, if you can flip Nick Cross, you, I like where Penn State stands with T.J. Jones. And you make a run at some of these other guys. They're also bringing in uh, Daquan Hardy from Pittsburgh as a possible late offer. So I mean, they, they've got options out there. Which is two weeks before signing day, exactly where you want to be. And it's so funny, this list that you sent me of, you know, these possibilities and guys that we're going to discuss here on the podcast, the names you just mentioned, how many of them would have been on a Penn State targets list November 1st as, as guys that you need to know about? All of a sudden, you know, it shows you again the, the impact of the early signing period, shifting in uh, to, to reassessing and shuffling your board after that. And a lot of these names have popped up late. Dark was so interesting out of Europe. And then Dewan Jones, I mean, six foot six or six foot eight, 360 pounds, a guy that just blew up at the end of his senior, senior year and, and, and he'll be on campus. So a lot to follow. I do want to get really quick, Sean, into the top 24 seven that was released. Uh, we know Barton Simmons, Steve Wolfong, Brian Doan, the whole recruiting crew at and scouting department at 24-7 invest years and, and they go down to the wire we had guys out in Hawaii for the Polynesian Bowl San Antonio for the All-America game Orlando for the Under Armour All-America game uh, and, and now we get to this point where they got the final top 247 number one overall familiar name for Penn State fans is Antonio Alfano ends up at Alabama but Penn State well represented and two five stars at the same position Sean one not surprising to anybody who's followed this recruiting class Brandon Smith is the top ranked linebacker across the board by 24-7 sports number 12 overall directly behind him Lance Dixon who climbs all the way up from 49 this guy is the top ranked outside linebacker Penn State signed two linebackers the top-ranked inside guy, the top-ranked outside guy, according to our experts. 
And I think Barton did that so people would stop asking me why Penn State didn't offer Keith McGuire out of Malvern Prep. But yeah, I mean, back to back, I mean, Dixon, that's that's a heck of a rise. And and that's all potential right there. He's a, he's a good high school player, um, but phenomenal physical skills. He's got legit size. He's on campus. Think, thinks he fit, uh, excuse me, I think he fits into that Sam role very well. You know, they, they, they see him, you know, as a sort of a hybrid guy. He was a safety. Um, he's come down to, uh, to, to, to play outside linebacker, and that's where he's going to end up. And, you know, the path is a little clearer with Jarvis Miller out of there. And, you know, Cam Brown's there for another year. But Lance Dixon's a guy who showed in San Antonio. He's got elite physical traits. Um, Darren Lee is the guy that they uh, uh, compare him to, uh, the New York Jets, uh, Ohio State guy, first-round pick. And just he's got the physical abilities. He's he's shown it on tape. He's done some really nice things. He's a football player. He's a very good wide receiver as well. Uh, you know, maybe a little high. I mean, 13th overall in the country. You're splitting hairs between 13 and 30. But at the same time, I mean, Lance Dixon bumped up from just inside the top 50 to, to number 13. Penn State, two, two five-star linebackers in their class of 2019. And that sounds pretty good to Penn State fans. This is going to sound pretty crazy considering the conversation that took place uh, along this recruiting cycle. But Lance Dixon actually finishes nine spots ahead of Zach Harrison, who is headed to Ohio State. Harrison, of course, was such a vocal point for Penn State fans, Michigan fans, Ohio State fans. Sean, Penn State tied with Michigan for the most top 247 representatives out of the Big Ten. They've got 11. Michigan has 11. Ohio State has 9. There's more guys out there scattered that could end up in some of these classes. But quickly going through uh, who Penn State has on this list, uh, they've got Smith and, and, of course, Dixon up top. We mentioned Ellie's uh, being just outside the top 100. Adiza Isaacs is, is in the 60s. Uh, Caden Wallace at offensive line is in the 50s. Um, you've got uh, John Dunmore, Tyler Rudolph on this list a little bit later. But the one that I keep going to, wrote about it on the site yesterday, Keaton Ellis. And, and you and I had talked about this uh, last offseason and, and how if this guy was at a school beyond state college that college scouts were always going into and trying to attack – Brian Doe said the same thing on the podcast last a couple weeks ago. Brian said he'd have 30-plus offers, he thinks. That is clearly the, the general consensus at 247 as he ends up in the top 130 overall. I believe he was at 126, one, in the 120 range. This is a guy who was just inside the top 500 midway through September. Yeah, I mean, Keaton Ellis is a guy we've talked about sort of nonstop on here. Of course, Mark Brennan was at all his games, and you went to some of his games. But just a, a long athlete. He can really run. Um, he's filled out over the last year. He's done some some really nice things on the field, and his senior tape backed it up. So, you know, he went, and, and we have a cool thing on our uh, on our. Uh, site at 24-7 Sports, they've got the rank history where you can follow. So anybody that, that wants to say, hey, this, you know, 24-7 hates Penn State, they, they always drop them after they commit or whatever, just check that out. Uh, it's it, It's been up and down for some of those guys, but Keaton Ellis, his arrow's been way up since the end of his junior season. Yep, and uh, so, again, nice talent hall for uh, Penn State. They're at number 10 right now when you look at the composite class rankings. If they can have that same standing uh, come two weeks from now, February 6th, signing day, They'll have back-to-back top 10 classes. Before last year, the last time they had a composite top 10 class was 2006. So to do that two years in a row be a pretty big feat. Sean, thank you so much for, for gutting this one out. We're going to try to preserve as much of your voice for the next podcast and get that one up a little bit sooner uh, because we'll have plenty to talk about after this big official visit weekend. But uh, great to have you back on for the conversation. And it's weird to say great to have you back on. This is your podcast long before it was mine, but uh, it's been a little too long. It, it has been a little too long. I felt bad about it. Uh, not that bad about it, but I felt bad about it. Um, just, uh, you know, I'm glad I got my tea here with my honey and my lemon. 
uh, thankfully I was able to hold out. But yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, it's, it's been great to talk some football. And like Tyler said, we're going to be back uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yep. Again, big official visit weekend. Uh, make sure to get the preview, all the feedback from that, from the prospects, what all, all the sources are saying. Steve Wiltfong, Brian Doan, of course, Sean Fitz will have you covered on Lions 24-7. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. We'll catch up with you soon. For now, I'm Tyler Donahue. He's Sean Fitz. Thanks for tuning in. Thinks he's fly and is also known as a buster. Always talking about what he.